0: Okay, let's go, let's go, here we go. Already, Epiphany 4. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Here we go. Almighty God, who set your Son over the works of all your, all your creation, so that even the winds and the sea obey him, we pray, give us your word that its power may increase your kingdom and all creation may be delivered into the glorious liberty of being your children. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. All right, questions about anything? Everything working okay? So men's retreat, try to come out one time, the other time, both times, whatever you want. Hey, free food, Friday night. Are you 21? Sorry. (laughs) Free beer. Um, And free food in the morning, too. So, all right, uh, let's see. So that's good. Give money in the basket for the Essie Center. Tony Briesman always does a good job of organizing St. John folks to have some fun at the Essie Center during February. There's a sign-up list in the stairwell. Send a little money their way. Anything else you got cooking? Ten days till Lent, right? So Ash Wednesday starts. Come and get your ashes on Ash Wednesday. Then on Wednesdays, dinner at 6 and prayers at 7 and out by 7.30. Okay? Everything good? All right. Okay. Here we go. So... One of the great mistakes of Christianity is to think that once you're saved, then that's the end of the game. So, being saved is the first step in Christianity, not the last step. And the writer to the Hebrews knows this. He's writing to people who have actually a tremendous amount of insight because they understand the Old Testament. They're Hebrews, right? So, they understand what it was like to have a priesthood, they understand what it was like to have a temple. They understand what it meant to have an Ark of the Covenant. They even understood what it was to have a Messiah on the way. This week, I—I I think I told—I don't think I don't know if I told you in this group. I was on a panel with a Muslim cleric, a rabbi, and uh, I believe he was a Methodist. Uh, he was an African American pastor from the South Side who'd worked with Jesse Jackson and Martin Luther King. So it was a very interesting time for me. But one of the things that the, we were talking about different things, and one of the things that the rabbi said was, he said, you know, we're a messianic people. That means we're a people who have hope. And you can see that in the, in the rite of the Hebrews, he, this sense of, of, of being a messianic people, people with hope. The thing is, this is very important, the hope is located in a person. In many and various ways in the past, the Lord spoke to our fathers. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in a son, the very first source. It doesn't make any sense. We don't speak people out, or or do we? Right? The angel comes to Mary, and as Luther says, makes her pregnant through her ear. So in some sense, Jesus is spoken out. The flesh and blood of Jesus is spoken into Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Occasionally in cathedrals in Europe, you'll see God speaking, the Heavenly Father, and there'll be this burst of light and wind that carries a dove, the Holy Spirit, and you'll see that... um, um, you know, hitting Mary and, and her becoming pregnant in the reliefs—it's very, very interesting. So when you get to a place like Hebrews 11, where it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that's not a wrong translation; it is in fact right. But it can also be translated as the stuff that gives assurance, hypostasis. And I think the vicar has done a lot with this on Wednesdays. And that phrase keeps, or that word keeps appearing, the hypostasis. It's not just that. Gosh, faith is you can hope that things are going to work out because then that's talking about you. You know that in the gospel, or when it's the gospel, you're talking about what Jesus does to you. And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is a gift. That's great Luther stuff. But faith is the hypostasis, the stuff of faith, the flesh and blood. You know, this is why the men's retreat is going to be on the creed, which, you know, you say to yourself, really, the creed. We'll see how he does but you know what the creed is meant to do is to sum up the stuff to tell the story but it's not just a story it's not just words it's not just a hope it's not just you know imagination and this is what makes you different from everybody else especially from your evangelical friends in Wheaton that you rely on the flesh and blood of Jesus you're bound to the flesh and blood of Jesus you have access to god because of the flesh and blood of Jesus because Jesus and now he lapses into being a Hebrew is the one who is the high priest for example who goes into the holy place place Jesus is the one who opens the curtains and lets you through Jesus is the bridge from here to there it's all about Jesus 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 but not just Jesus the idea this is about Jesus the flesh and blood born of Mary and so you know the Messiah is here and this is the difference that it makes right up to and including that even when you think about heaven, that invisible place, you can think about it in a substantive way. So one of the reasons, we'll talk about a lot of reasons why you should be in church, but one of the reasons, you know, it was a great service at 8.30. It was just so, there are some times when you come and you can just tell from the first note everybody is on. It's loud, people are singing well, the responses are strong. Sometimes we come and you know, you're asleep and so are we. I mean, I know that that happens, right? So, but, but it's better when you have one, like there was at 8.30, when, you know, everybody, and it's loud and it's full and things are, you know, things are poking, or, I mean, they're just, they're just going on and, you know, why do you do that? Because you can't generate that by yourself. That's why everything that happens on Sunday morning, it's not about me. So when I write a sermon, it's not about me, it's about the congregation. When the choir sings, it's not about the choir, it's about the congregations. When you speak, actually. It's not just about you. It's about everybody next to you. In just a minute, we're going to read the bit that we didn't get to where it talks about some people have stopped coming to church. What is the matter with you? Don't you know that you come to church for me? Did you know that? You thought you came to church for you, the writer of the Hebrews says. No, no. There are things that happen in a community, in a group that don't happen anywhere else. And frankly, none of us are strong enough to make it on our own. Right, the monastic way, the ascetic way, the Cappadocians who went out into the caves and lived by themselves as hermits—you read about their lives. They were flipping miserable. It was horrible, right? All the things that, all the temptations they went to escape, followed them into the desert, and now they're alone and they have to deal with them. You know, it's a terrible, terrible life to live by yourself. Many people aren't given to that. You need the people around you, and you need the people around you centered on Christ that's a congregation, that's a community, that's the body of Christ, that's the church. And so what what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to do is say to you, you know, you're not a Lone Ranger, You're not you're not by yourself in this, right? You're part of a people, you're part of a covenant, you're part of a history. You're part of a trajectory that takes you from your birth to heaven, and this is the way you go, and this is what it looks like. And if you think it's just about you, you got church all messed up because church is about you being part of Jesus, bound to the flesh of Jesus, part of the community. What you do influences the community. Part of heaven already while you're still on earth. We're going to read a place today where it says, you know what? The saints who have gone before you don't get the full effect yet because they're waiting for you. It's, this weird, it's a strange passage. It's like people who have died in front of you, hey, they didn't, they didn't get the full blastness because they're waiting to follow you into heaven. It's It's a weird piece. The point is that you get things in church that you can't get anywhere else. For example, the body and blood of Jesus on the altar and on your tongue and on the arms of Mary, as Luther said. You get things here you can't get anywhere else. You get people here who love you, even though you're unlovable, right? You get people that encourage you on your worst days. You get people who care for you when you're sick. That's not a period on the end of the sentence, however, that's the life that we're meant to live, not just for the people here. And this will be, you know, if we, if we have weak points, you know, one of the weak points will be is if we have a lot of fun and get clubby about it. So in one sense, you know, we're the, the new members class in sort of a, is sort of, real honestly, it's a bit of a sieve. You know, we, you know, uh, we date before we kiss. And, and people, over the course of a dozen Saturdays or, you know, 15 or 20 Saturdays, they figure out if they like us or not. Um, you know how this is when you get the first date went okay, the second date you thought I'm not sure, the third date you're like, ooh, look how late it's this time. You know, that's what happens in the new members class. People are like, oh, gee, you aren't who we thought you were. And we're like, okay, well, you know, that's okay. But, but the thing is, is we can't become in any sense, you know, it's a lot of fun and it's just for us. The writer of the Hebrews is about it's a lot of fun and it's for everybody. Hey, grow up. And today there's also talk about, um, where he talks about, you know, one of the big things you do is just give alms. Thanks for giving alms to a lot of the people. That's what you do, okay? So all of that is in play as we, uh, as we go on. Now, I want to pick up one, one verse of that that we didn't pick up at the end of last time. It was the very last line, so you don't need the outline from last time to get there. Uh, what you need is... Pick up your Bible, go to Hebrews ten nineteen to 25. Now just hold that for a second because, sorry, that's the second thing I want to do. I, want to, I would just want to re-emphasize one thing I said. I'll tell you what, okay, I lied to you, but there I confessed it so you can't hold it against me. Before you, before you just mark that place, I just want you to go to John's Gospel just for a moment. Because, you know, every year we've had different emphases in Lent. I didn't sort of intend to talk so much about prayer and church. You know, we talk about Christ and Scripture and prayer and going to church and tithing and mercy and witness. You know, we talked about we had carnival last year and we talked about tithing and alms and made so emphasis. It just has kind of happened naturally with the selection that both prayer and um, church have come up. You might think about as you're thinking about what you're going to do for Lent. You know, you can give things up. You can fast from particular things, and that's good for you. And we've talked about that. Two or three years ago, we talked about that quite a lot, about how to set your fast up. You know, you remember fasting is a response to a sacred moment. There are different levels of fasting, you know, even in the scriptures through noon, through three, through six. A 24-hour fast is very rare. That's kind of a day of atonement sort of fast. So it would be very rare for any of you to be taken on a regular fast of 24 hours. If you do fast, you know, and you've never done it before, you start slowly. You should um, fast from something that you can... Accomplish. You know, don't don't give yourself such a goal that you can only be depressed for the 40 days of Lent. And, um, you know, when you screw it up, forgive yourself. And if you make it, remember that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when whatever you fast from pinches you, remember then um, that the pinch is to remind you of, when you say to you, says, why the pinch or why the fast? You say, well, it's Lent, and Jesus is on the way to the cross. So, uh, you know, it's a way of refocusing yourself. That said, another place to refocus yourself is prayer. And I I said this to you last week, but I actually wanted to say it to you again. It's in John 15, um, 14 to 16. I know that, contrary to many of the Bible studies I do, this one you're going to do a lot of flipping around because of how it's been arranged. But this is a a glorious... um, Gosh, this is just... These are some of the greatest words... Jesus says, I'm going to start at verse 12 just for fun. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So live like me, imitate me. I love people, I don't have any enemies. You love people, you don't have any enemies. So love is the primary thing, right? Love God, love your neighbor. No idols, no enemies. That's the Ten Commandments. This is my commandment, you love each other. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now that is startling that Jesus will take them as friends. And already there, you sort of weigh in with what we talked about last week. When Jesus is the bridge to heaven, Jesus invites you into the royal household. In the royal household, you're not just a servant. You're not just a support team. Jesus talks about you as his... uh, He talks about himself as your brother, so he is... you're, you're a sister... To Jesus you're a brother to Jesus your family or and your friends and it's best in the world you all know this it's best in the world when your friends are your family and your family are your friends that's an admirable thing in families when they 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 love each other when they're friends well what Jesus says to these people who are not related to him by blood pause your real family are the ones that you share the body and blood of Jesus with not the body and blood of your mother and your father your real family are the people who share the same name that you got at the font. You get your, you get your person, you get your family name at the hospital, Bruzek. But you get, your, you, get your, you get your baptismal name, Claire, Lane, Christopher, at the font, and we always pray for you by your baptismal name. That's the name you're known by amongst the angels. Right? So, so Jesus is the bridge to heaven, but he, he doesn't just sort of bring you up as foreign laborer. Jesus brings you up as friend and his family. You're part of the royal household, and that means everything. Look what he says. You are my friends, if you do what I command you, love each other. No longer do I call you servants. You see this? You're not just servants in the royal household. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. So what Jesus is doing is he's telling you what he's doing. What is he doing? He's loving everybody in sight. But I have called you friends for all that I have. And listen, this rings just like Hebrews. All that I've heard from the Father speaking. The Father is speaking. In days past, the Father spoke to us by the prophets. Now he speaks to us by his Son. Right here it is. Jesus says, I'm telling you what I hear from the Father. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. And then this great line, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, and you know this, we've done this a hundred times, but you know what you're going to get in your in advance. Probably the two things you need to know about saying your prayers. There's probably two things that will keep your prayers on the straight and narrow. One is you already know the answers to your prayers before you pray them. So you, Jesus says here, you can have anything you want if you ask in his name, which means then you should spend a lot of time studying the names of Jesus. When I taught... Christology at the seminary. I taught it from the names of Jesus. Each name has a particular thing. His called his name Jesus. So because he saves his people from their sins. So if you need to be forgiven, you should say Jesus. I got. I I can't believe I did this. Please forgive me. Right? Or if you if you are lost, if you have lost your way, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is the great name to pray. You'll notice the vicar's assignment. Every vicar's assignment is to get the name appropriate for the thing that will be prayed. And so you'll notice in each of the petitions that comes on Sunday at the altar, there's a particular name that's used because inside the name is the gift that Jesus is going to give. So the first thing you should know is you can have anything that you can find in the name of Jesus. It's yours. Whatever you pray in my name, that's yours. Apparently, there is no name for the billion-dollar lottery ticket. (laughs) But there are names for other things. So, I mean, so first is Jesus says that you can have whatever whatever you ask for by name. But then the second, the practical thing of Bernard or Clairvaux, the only thing you really need to know about praying, when you pray, God will give you what you ask or something better. And that's that's not advice. That's the hard, scrabble, long-term, learned truth from somebody who prayed a lot. When you pray, God will give you what you ask or something better. So this means then, when you say your prayers, this is why you can give God advice. Right? This is what I think you should do, God. This is why you can be angry with God in a way that you can't be angry with your spouse or your kids, with people in your congregation or your boss at work, or people on the street. Because those people, you can break them, you can hurt them. You can't hurt God. So the psalmist rages against God when things go bad. Right? Right? And you've had this in your own families. You, when you have really good friends or you have a really good family, you can go off and people will just like go back to their sweet potatoes and kind of let you come down to earth. Is that not true? Right? In the best families, that's what can happen. They're like, okay, everybody has a bad day now and then, right? That happens. It's the same way with your prayers. You're part of the family now. So that means you can, you can give God advice. This is what I think you ought to do. Or you can rage at him, I don't know what you're up to this time. Or you can beg him, this is exactly what I need. Or you can invoke him, you know, send your angels to watch out for me. So as you say your prayers, and I guess I would ask you, you know, even if this isn't your specific focus at Lent, at least if it could be a focus that you would. In the easiest way of Jesus, for example, saying prayers morning and evening, the psalmist morning and evening, unless you've be- I've begun to have the old man's disease, I talked about this, I think I've told you about this with Kleining a few years ago, where he said, you know, I've, I, he said, I haven't slept well. I, I, this is true for a couple of older pastors, theologians I know, they don't sleep well anymore. Uh, when I was on the Camino, I, you know, I'm sleeping in a room, we're walking, you know, I don't know, how many miles a day, 10 or 15 miles a day, and... Then you go to sleep with 30 of your closest friends you've never met before in this hostel. And every once in a while, I would wake up, and I'm like, there's a light on I'd look over, and there's Art just reading some book at 3 in the morning. You can't sleep, right? Well, I, I've, I run, and I myself have begun to, I often now, I don't sleep through the night. I wake up. And John had said to me very kindly, he said, this is God providing an opportunity for you to pray for your family and your friends and your church. He said it's all over the Psalms. And if you think about it, it is. He said, "I lie in my bed, I toss and turn." You know these psalms, right? I lie in my bed, I toss and turn. I cry your name, O Lord, right? So, um, when old people sometimes, uh, sometimes when old people say, "We, we," uh, it's not uncommon when people first become become shut in. They often say to us, "I got there's nothing left for me to do." To which I always say, "Well, you should probably pray for you pray for me. You pray for my wife and my kids and my family. You pray for Saint John." And sometimes in your life, part of your task in the royal family is you, you think you've been reduced when in fact you're, you've just been given a bit of specificity about your life, right? And all of that is in there. I should have said more last week. I wish I said more, so I'll say it to you now. So as you come into, uh, especially you older folks who can't sleep at night, you could call me too if you want, but uh, you know, it'll ring through if I'm the emergency guy. But, you know, the, the, but don't, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, no, but if you could sort of think about your prayers kind of morning and evening during Lent, that's, you know, that's, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It's, you know, the sign of the cross in the Lord's Prayer the sign of the cross in Luther's Prayer. Even the sign of the cross in, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, right? 10,000 times. You know, just so you might want to just think about that given that you know who you are now. You're part of the family, you're part of the royal family, and the Lord wants to hear from you. So... Um, when you think of yourself as a co-worker, I mean, I mean I just, I'm just i going to press this all the way. If you think about yourself as being part of the body of Christ, then that means that you too are a bridge between heaven and earth. Right? If Jesus is, if Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth, and you are Jesus, you're the body of Jesus, you're the bridge between heaven and earth. You're the one who has to say, is responsible to say, my friend is sick. The world's going straight to hell. I can't understand this. This makes me so angry. I'm really happy about this. It's wonderful. That's your responsibility. You're the bridge between heaven and earth because Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth. His story is your story. Right? That's the scriptures. You know, his, his community is your community. So you might just want to think, You know, going into Lent maybe this year, you could just think about being really good at coming to church which you have been, I should say, by the way. Um, I can't remember what I said because I'm getting old. Bear with me. Um, Attendance at church is up 8% over last year. I mean, we track this stuff daily almost. It's it's really interesting. Also, we have about 1,000 people now on the rolls. What's happened over the past couple of years is we have contacted every family and every person on the rolls of St. John, so the rolls have shrunk dramatically. Because there are people, we lost track of them. It's kind of a, here's the thing. When, you get, when you're a pastor and you go, Vic, pay attention now, you're going to need this later, okay? When you go to a conference, people always say to you, how many people do you have in your congregation? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun to say 2,000. Uh, because then people are like, ooh, uh, suddenly, you know. That's, well, the, the way that, I mean... This is really close to sinning, but I'm going to say it anyway. And if you call me on it, I'm going to withdraw it. So um, <laughs> what happens then is the way, the, way, the way that people get really big numbers is that they never take anybody off, which was the case at St. John too. I mean, we had people who had been moved to Phoenix 14 years ago, right? It's just dishonest. It's a, and the part of the reason you know then, in America, you're a great success. If you get a third of your people, that's kind of the going standard in all the cool guy books about if you're a cool guy pastor. If a, if a third of your people will come to church... Um, so, we have about a thousand people on the books now but we got seven hundred and fifty people coming. We are the coolest guys. I say really humbly toward land uh, no i mean so here 's the thing. We know where everybody is now, and so i mean we 're peeking in your windows We got i mean we 're looking for you so, so so I mean the thing is what i 'm saying is this is good i mean if you if the other two hundred and fifty people would come to church, I could stay home at night. This would be great okay so Show up. I, yeah, I couldn't sleep, but I'd, at least I'd be home, right? And my point is, and I do have one, please, thank you for coming to church. Please keep coming to church, and please bring your friends, um, uh, but, but bring them in a way that's gentle and, and that we aren't clubby about it. Um, so the men's retreat is, you know, meant for that kind of thing. The women's retreat, too. You can bring friends. It's not, it's not hard to show up and have dinner. It's not hard. Anybody can do it. And then beyond that, Karen, I, I haven't heard from you for so long. And then beyond that, if you can just structure your prayers, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. If you can just structure your prayers, and the easiest thing, if you could just sort of as a discipline, morning and evening, I mean, you don't know what to pray for. If you say, you, don't, you pray for me and pray for this church. Pray for your pastors, pray for the church. That'd be, that'd be at least a great start. And other things will come to you. Start to think about your spouse. You'll find something to pray about. Or your kids. <laughs> you know, your kids imagine about your kids and then don't imagine anymore prayed you can pray to start imagining and stop imagining how about that karen Crawford, i love you thank you what in the world I still love you. I still love you. So let me tell you at least two or three problems with excommunication. One is the Lutherans have it wrong. Shocking. Um, Jesus says to pastors, the sins that you forgive are forgiven, the sins that you retain are retained. And so in most Lutheran polity we say, well, this, we're good with the go with the sins that you're forgiven, but for the sins that you're going to retain, we'll need a voters meeting for that. That is not even in the corrupted texts of the New Testament, Right? But nevertheless, we, we recognize that to tell somebody that they're out of the church is, uh, is a fearsome thing. The other thing you might think about, let me give you a second thing. It's very difficult to do your human resources in public. It's, any, any business man or woman in this room will tell you it's the wrong thing to do. And yet voters meetings insist still on doing it. Um, you wonder how much of stuff is illegally said at a call meeting for a pastor, Right that you'd be liable for in normal, you know, human conversation. And also, there's a little bit of a trend to sue pastors and congregations who excommunicate people for defamation, right? I mean, because at the one let's just say by the time you're excommunicating somebody, you've pretty much made them an enemy and they've made an enemy of you. And you know, people do crazy things under stress. So this is, you're getting more maybe than you asked for. There's a thing called the minor ban and the major ban. So the minor ban is when a pastor says to somebody, "Um, you shouldn't come to the Holy Supper until you repent. And if you do come, I'm going to bless you, but I'm not going to commune you. Which is a real source of tension because pastors don't want to embarrass anybody at the rail. And yet, um, if somebody is caught in desperate sin... So I think I've probably done that three times in all the years I've been a pastor. And you almost have to avoid it as a pastor to make sure that you're not doing it because you got a thing with with somebody personally or out of spite. So rarely, rarely is that used. The other reason is because if you're a sinner, frankly, the thing that cures you is the Holy Supper. And to tell somebody they can't take the Holy Supper, it's a very fine line. You don't want to use it against them in a way that will hurt him. That's 1 Corinthians 11. On the other hand, we also know that it forgives people and people who are caught in sins need to be forgiven and it may be the one thing. So we're a bit, we probably err on on the side of uh, being generous there. I haven't been in an excommunication. I've never found myself in a place necessary for it. Usually it doesn't come to that. Although you could argue that from the end of Matthew 18 where you go alone, you go with people and then you tell it to the church it might be necessary at some point. But, One would want to be very careful with that sort of a thing. It's too easy to be hard on people, in the church especially. Too easy to abuse people spiritually. So you just have to be very, very careful. How's that? All right. So anyway, my my point is, if you would please come to church, we're just going to keep talking about that, because things happen in church that (coughs) don't happen anywhere else. There are things that happen in the hour on Sunday when you're in church, they just don't happen anywhere else. And they can be wonderful things. Your heart can be softened. You pray for other people. You learn to love people. As C.S. Lewis said, you learn, I go to the Eucharist to love the people I don't necessarily like, right? Actually, I saw, this is, I, there are 300 people who commune today or 200. I saw two people who I know don't like each other next to each other at the rail today. And when I was communing them, I was thinking to myself, hmm, intentional or accident? Discuss. <laughs> But I was like, I was so happy when I saw him. And I was just like, you know, I thought to myself, maybe something is happening here. That's a really good thing. And that can happen here. Um, You know, that can happen here. And it's not going to happen in other places. Right? So there's a lot of things. Why do you come to church? You get things here you don't get anywhere else. And we're going to, I promise you, we're going to get there. We're going to run through some of those. But... What what happens to me is, I mean, you probably never noticed this over all the years. I get excited, and then I just like, "Ah!" I just keep going faster and faster, right? So I promised myself today I would try to slow down and just let you absorb this. It's so important for you. It's so important for me that we see this as a discipline and a blessing. You come to church, you get things you don't. It's so important for you to see your prayers as a discipline and a blessing. God says, you're family. You're not just a guy who works here. You're, you're part of the advisory group, so what do I need to know, right? Who will tell the boss the bad news? All right? Or the good news. So I just urge you, maybe this year try to observe Lent. It's half an hour, plus we give you dinner. And it's good dinner, actually. I mean, it's, you know. So come to dinner and say your prayers. So, so morning and evening. If you just sort of mark that, morning and evening, just the Lord's Prayer morning and evening. Kind of You remember, this is the last thing, and then I will do the text. You remember in the early church, when the Lord's Prayer was prayed, they would add their petitions in between the petitions of the church. So our Father, and then they would say all the things that were really important about God being the Father. So you pray, for example, for the fatherless and the dispossessed. You pray for children who had gone wrong. right? You pray for the things under each petition. Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? I mean, ultimately, the kingdom is the incarnation of Christ who brings forgiveness on the cross. So you pray that you know, Christ's kingdom would come into your hard-hearted relatives or your hard-hearted kids or your hard-hearted father or mother, whatever, right? So in the early church, they would add the petitions and you can do exactly the same thing as you pray. You know, remember me, remember the congregation, remember your family, remember other people. Remember the people you hate. Remember the people you contend with or the people that you rub wrong. Even today, the gospel, remember the things that Jesus sees that you don't see even about yourself. Jesus sees the demons that you don't see, even in yourself, right? That's the reason you say your prayers. And you do that before the eternal throne of glory because you're part of the family. Jesus says, Hey, you're not my servants. I call you friends. Part of the family. Okay, so, and I sort of got to that last week with the notion of Jesus being the bridge. But you have to understand that you're the bridge too. You may be the last best hope of the person you're talking about, you're the bridge. Because you're the body of Christ. Of course you don't run that show. You follow Jesus. But follow Jesus. That's the point. Good? All right. So wherever I told you to go in Hebrews, go there. (laughs) Hebrews 10. All right. It's somewhere in there, right? Was it Hebrews 10? What did I say? Hebrews 10 what? 19 to 25. All right. Hebrews 10. 19 to 25. Okay, here you go. And this is unbelievably great stuff. Therefore, brothers, the same word that Jesus talked. Do Baptists drive you crazy when they call you brother? Me too, but it's all over the Bible, so you've got to smile at them when they do it, right? (laughs) Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, right? This is that assurance thing again. Since we have confidence, and if you just, on my page, I can look right across the page to... Just right on the other side of my page is Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the confidence or the assurance of things hoped for. These two things go together, right? Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. Now, what's he saying here? Remember the high priest? He only gets to go in once a year. He only goes in as he's swinging incense to keep it dark. He only goes in as he's bearing the blood of a sacrifice, one for him and one for the people. He only goes in with fear and trepidation. You know, it's probably not true, you know, the 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 lore always was that they tied a, a rope around the leg of the high priest so that if he died when he got in there they could pull him back out. It's probably not true. I mean, but it's a great story though, and it makes the point. Right? So I mean there you go. You're you're weaving through this these oriental tapestries to get to a place that's pitch black and inside is the... And you throw up the incense just to make sure you don't see what you're not supposed to see. It's a dangerous thing. And basically what he's saying to you is, you know what? Now that you're a family, now that you're part of this royal household, you can go in there with confidence. It's not going to hurt you. In fact, it's going to be just the opposite. this is going to help you. Since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary, why? by the blood of Jesus. Everything is about the blood of Jesus. He's spoken to us in a son. He's spoken to us in flesh and blood. It used to be about the blood of goats. It used to be about the blood of lambs. It used to be about other kinds of blood. And as Hebrews often says, that really didn't work out too well. You all weren't very good at that. So just tuck this away if you're reading through Hebrews together. Vic, you too, sort of tuck this away. There'll be a place where it says the law was too weak or the law didn't work. It didn't work, not because the, there's something wrong with the law. It's because there's something wrong with, yeah, right. It was too weak because you didn't know how to work it. Or you couldn't work it right. right. It's not about the law being wrong. So what, is, what does the Lord do? He finds another way for you to be saved. It's, everything is in the blood of Jesus. You know what? It's just so interesting because this is the... When you're working with younger people, especially sophisticated people or people who didn't grow up in the church, this is immediately the point that rubs them. And it rubs them because the whole notion of a sacrifice or actually blood being need to atone for somebody else just gets them all wrong. Of course, you tell me what's the difference between this verse and sending an 18-year-old kids to... Afghanistan. What's the difference? There's no difference. You understand this intuitively. Tell me what's the difference between this verse and 9-11 when, uh, listen to Springsteen, up the stairs, right? That was for me, Springsteen's album, how I came to grips with 9-11. It's the gorgeous thing. But people who would, you know, go up into a building to get other people, and as they trudge up to the top, they all know they're not coming back because there's a plane on fire and the building is collapsing around them. You know, we say we don't understand this. We act like we act like we're a very sophisticated society. And if somebody will also have to die, you remember um, Salzer, he just died. Confessions of a knife. This is a guy who wrote these books about being a surgeon. He wrote one later where he said, Everybody dies from lack of everybody dies from the same thing. Everybody dies from lack of oxygen to the brain. Isn't that interesting? Like everybody dies from lack of oxygen in the brain. Everybody, every person has died from the same thing. They vote, if you will, they've died from bad blood. Sophisticated people will suggest that this is primitive, this notion of one person for another. And yet, every sophisticated 21st century culture does it every day. If you have policemen, if you have soldiers, if you have firemen, even if you have parents who, you know, jump into the pond when their kids are drowning even if they can't swim. We understand this intuitively and we can't we can't reject this on the notion that it's primitive. This is who we are. This is what we do. Right? And we do it all day long. So, you shouldn't you shouldn't be put off by this. I mean, this is this is basically saying the blood of Jesus, which is to say Jesus, you know, goes in your place just like, you know, you send some 18-year-old you don't even know to Afghanistan or Vietnam or pick some place in your place. That's how it works. That's how the world works. We don't all do it ourselves. We prefer not to do it ourselves, quite frankly. And we honor people who do do it for us. This is not so different, right? So, you know, we've got confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, right? New and alive new and living way. He dies so you can live the new and living way, which he opened for us through the curtain, reference to Holy of Holies, or the curtain, and remember that Jesus dies, and the curtain is ripped in 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 the temple top to bottom, right? We get to go in through his flesh. So there it is. In two verses, you get the blood of Jesus and the flesh of Jesus. We have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. We go in because of his flesh. This is why, you know, the sacrament cannot be a symbol. The sacrament cannot be a sign. The scriptures never use those words, just so you know. The scriptures never use the word symbol or sign for either baptism or the Eucharist. Something really, really happens, right? What really, really happens is, I was just talking to somebody in the New members class yesterday about things we haven't done <laughs> So there's a couple of things we haven't done. And I, sometimes I think, you know, we're just getting old and we don't change things. We probably should. There's two things I'd like to do or I would think about doing if I, you wouldn't freak out. One would be, and this was the conversation, you know, um, of all the places in the world, we change the wording of the creed so we say one holy Christian apostolic church. Of course, everybody knows the creed says one holy... Well, this, I mean, really? You're really smart people. You live in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm guessing that every one of you can tell the difference between a capital letter and a small letter. <laughs> you know, so someday, you know, if I slip, you know, one holy Catholic and apostolic, you'd just be saying what the church has said for two thousand years. We really just because we Lutherans and you know we didn't like the Catholics and I get all that, but really, you change a creed over that? I'm just not sure. Um, the other thing is, is you know, kissing the altar to greet it. You'll notice if you go to mass or you watch the Orthodox, when when the first time you get to the altar. You kiss him hello, you kiss him goodbye, right? So it's just common, that the priest or the pastor kisses the altar, hello, good morning, Jesus, good to see you, you kiss him goodbye. I'm leaving now after the benediction. It, it, the point of those things is, yes, I'm actually aware that the altar was not in the manger, right, but it was this close, right? I mean, it could not be any closer, I mean, I mean, in some sense, the altar is Jesus. When you're going to come on, Ma- you're going to come on Monday, Thursday, and what are we going to do at the end of the Monday Thursday service? What are we going to do? We're going to strip the altar, and then what are we going to do? Wash it up. Why are we doing that? Because we're getting ready to put him in the tomb. We're stripping Jesus, and we're washing him up. We're acting out the story because the altar is Jesus in some sense, right? That's why we're doing it. So, see, we have our sensibilities only where we have them because we're used to things and we understand them and other things we don't understand, but we probably should, I kind of think to myself, this is a, under the rubric of, you know, don't get lazy. We need to push far enough that you can take it and then not push so far that it's annoying, but we always want to try to get better, right? And here it is right here. I mean, you can't read two verses here where it doesn't talk about the flesh and the blood of Jesus being your free pass, the flesh and the blood of Jesus being your... your um, bridge to heaven, or as they said, Theodore of Mopsuesti in the early church, he said, he said, he'd hold it up and he'd say, this is your ticket to the resurrection, and then he'd give the Eucharist was given. Your token of the resurrection, it's like taking a ticket at a carnival. This is your ticket in, right? So when you get to heaven, you, know, you don't have to speak, you just show them the host inside you. It's the flesh and blood of Jesus, and it's the most natural thing in the world. Why is that? Because we have this great high priest over the house of God, you know, there used to be high priests, they didn't really get it done. Jesus got it done as the high priest. And then, hey, you five, page 5 and 15 red hymnal folks, here it is. Let us draw near with a true heart and confess unto, remember? You 5 and 15ers, this is it, right here. You were saying that the whole time, you just didn't even know it, right? Which makes you wonder how you could leave, you know, 5 and 15. Which one was the Eucharist and which one wasn't? Can anybody remember? 5 wasn't? Fifteen was, five wasn't. How could you you use this? You know the difference between the two of them where you just took the Eucharist out, right? So you're like, how can you steal this from like one verse says the flesh of Jesus, the next one says the, the, the blood of Jesus, and then the next one quotes it, and then you don't have the Eucharist. What? Talk about committee work. Okay. So, I mean, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts. Hey, you are baptized, sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies baptized, washed pure with water. Let us hold fast to the confession. Remember, we talked about this last week. The confession is a bunch of facts. Hold on to the facts. You know, don't go after non facts. Take true facts. Hold on to the stuff that you've been given. The confession of our hope, hold on to that without wavering, because he who promises is faithful. And then look at this. I mean, then any the, this guy clearly was not Lutheran. He did not get nervous at all about the close connection between justification and sanctification. So he basically says, you're a child of God, you're a child of God because of the flesh and blood of Jesus, because the flesh and blood of Jesus was put to you, because the name of Jesus was put on you, because you go to the liturgy, and then make sure you come to church so you can consider how you can stir one another up to love and good works." So partly what I'm supposed to do every day, my job is to say to you, how can you love people better and how can you do more good? It's really interesting in the new members class. There's always people who drop out. And honestly, this happens. They they look at us and they say, all you talk about is how Jesus has us doing good works. And I'm like, yes, and? Because somehow they think it's my job simply to say, I forgive you all your sins and nothing else matters. Where the text actually says, I'm supposed to say, I forgive you all your sins. Now, how are you going to love people better? And where are you going to do some good? Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to give alms to? Right? What enemy are you going to go make up with? Where are you going to make restitution like, Zac- like Zacchaeus did? When Jesus came to his house and he said, I've been cheating everybody for a long time, so I'm giving half to the poor, and the people I cheated specifically, they get four times what I took away from them. How can you make a better community? How can you bring people who are outside in? How can you be good to the dispossessed and the poor? How can you do that? It doesn't without missing a beat. That's what they say. This is the whole Christian life in about six verses, right? So, you should come to church, and when you come to church, you should say to everybody else, how can we get better? How can we do a better job of loving each other? How can we do a better job of doing good? And you know what good is. Good is just what Jesus does. Good is what Jesus does. Good is what Jesus touches. Bad, last week we talked about evil as being spatial, so Jesus gets really close to some things like the altar, And then he gets really far away from other things like sins. That's the same thing for you. You get close to holy things, touch holy things. You get away from unholy things. You see, it's all just right here. And what you should come to church and do is say, how can we do better? How can we be more loving? Verse 25, don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect coming to church. You can't come once a month. Human beings need it about every seven days. You're out of steam at seven days. You need to come back. And if you're not out of steam, I'm out of steam, and it's your responsibility to pick me up. Do you understand? You come to church for me. Don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. That's how you get to have a rolls of 2,000, right? Because so Some people neglecting the habit, but you're still, you know. But encouraging one another... And all the more, as you see the day, big capital D day, last day, Jesus coming back, separating the sheep and the goats, saying, you did it to these, you did it to me, you didn't do it to me, why didn't you do it to me? Right, as you see the day approaching. we got to go. But you see, this is all of one, this is all of one, it's all all of one piece, okay? So we did nothing on the outline I gave you today, but (laughs) we're going to come back next week. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray.